What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. All right, what's up, everybody? We're coming to you live right now. We're broadcasting out of West Coast Archery in Petaluma, California. And uh, tonight, Alan Gregory from the Department of Fish and Wildlife has been friendly enough to come down and and have a discussion and kind of do some questions and answers, talk a little bit about laws and things that may be coming up, things that may not be coming up. the biggest things that I've heard about have been for about mountain lion hunting, which we'll cover at the end, and bear hunting, which we'll cover in the beginning. Uh, this is absolutely an open forum. That being said, it's going to be re- it's going to remain respectful and tactful. I will cut people off if I cut you off. Be respectful of it. Please sit back, collect yourself, don't get emotionally involved. Um, This is supposed to be fact-finding and helpful for everybody in the California hunting community, and uh, I will facilitate it as such. Um, So if I do cut you off, or if I call a point of order, don't take it as disrespect. Just take it that we're trying to be respectful and, and tactful. Um, even the fact that Alan is willing to come down here and open this kind of a discussion to the public is seriously amazing and uh, hopefully it helps better the future relationship between wardens and hunters and uh, we'll start from there Alan how are you doing tonight how was the drive-in that was great yeah I got here a little early went had a, a burger before I got here and uh yeah, we're ready to get started, man. Glad we could finally make this happen. Good. Good. So, like I said, we'll start out with bears first. So, does anybody have any questions regarding bear hunting in the state of California? How does the hound hunting get reversed? What could be a process to get that back? So, uh, so since the governor signed the, the hound bill, um, it's going to take like a, I don't want to say super majority vote, but I think a four-fifths majority vote to get that back uh, in, in California. And that's, that's the best I can give you in that respect. I mean, it, it's got to come back. It's got to come from the people at that point. Yes. Yeah. And, and until, until the department can determine that you know, the lack of hounds as an option for taking bears is, is significantly uh, reducing the number of bears being taken. Uh, it, it's going to be a, a tough climb to get that back. So almost has to be proven that with that being taken away, that had the effect of like an overpopulation to a point kind of to bring it back? Or you could kind of step forward and yeah, and and it, it's a it's a tool. It's a management tool for the bear population, and uh, so 
basically that tool was taken away from us. I mean, I can put the, given the analogy of how do you, how do you build a house without a hammer, right? It's really difficult. You use rocks and it's not as effective. So um, it, it basically took away a, a management tool that, that our wildlife managers used to uh, meet the quotas or uh, at, just to authorize a certain number of bears be taken. So until, until we can show that scientifically, it it's, won't come back. What would the process be in order for that to be proven scientifically? I think we'd have to have a, a very good idea of the number of bears in California, uh, their reproductive behavior, so how, how successful they are reproductively, and and see that in a, in a number of years how that their reproductive success is going. And then we can say like, hey, we need to do a better job of managing. I don't think it's gonna be as simple as like, oh, the number of bear-human interactions has gone up. Well, the human population is going up <laughs> way faster than the bear population is going up. And as people move into those that more optimal bear habitat, you're gonna see more human interactions. That's just the way it's gonna be. Um, you'll have the extremes like this bear that was recently down in Davis. I mean, it, it just, it's, that's not normal. So it's like anything, you take those really not normal ones out and go like, that was just a fluke. So, um, yeah, it's, that's probably going to be how it goes. I mean, I'm not a bear biologist by any means, so I don't know how we would prove that. For, for an area like this, where there's obviously some uncertainty around the population figures, I mean, what, what's the most effective way for the hunting community to contribute? Would it be organizing volunteer groups to help actually do surveys? Would it be advocating for more funding to be thrown at this from CDFW? I mean, what would be, in your mind, the most effective route there? Well, I think for starters, just having a, uh, a biologist in that position, in the bear biologist position, that would be the uh, a first good start. And then from there, you can start directing studies be done uh, across the state. And uh, doing surveys with bears is difficult. They're a notoriously difficult animal to quantify populations. DNA and the ability to do DNA has come a long ways in wildlife. So, uh, doing basically mark recapture studies on uh, fecal analysis can give biologists a better idea of how many bears are in the area, in a particular area. But that varies across the state as as your habitat quality goes up and goes down. Uh, but that's a lot of money. That's a lot of man hours collecting those samples and. A lot of money that in doing the DNA work. So, yeah, money's a big thing, right? We, we know more money would be more people would mean more ability to to put a number, a more hard and fast number on that uh, population. Do we currently have a bear, a dedicated bear biologist, or is that not a filled position? I believe the position is currently vacant. It is. I believe so. And what, do you know the requirements for someone to try and get into that position or what that looks like? Uh, I'm sure uh, it's an environmentalist, environmentalist, environmental scientist position uh, that I'm 
I don't know what the prerequisites are. It could be somebody right out of uh, college with you know, a wildlife management background that goes right into it. Uh, generally, those positions get filled with people who kind of come up through the ranks, work for that program or a similar program, doing those studies, and then they apply for that. Um, but uh, currently, it's, as far as I know, it's vacant. Okay. So we don't really have anybody doing much scientific research on bears directly? Uh, if, if there are, there are the unit biologists throughout the state that are doing individual studies in local areas, mm -hmm. not a statewide program. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've just uh, touched on that. I've talked to a couple uh, local biologists that they, they touching on looking at bears is one of their, one of their components that they deal with. And we actually, um, you know, there's, there's opportunities there to work with them, but that they're not strictly dedicated to like a statewide program. It's just they, they facilitate something in their local area. Yeah. And also, for anybody that is asking questions, if you guys can speak up, uh, just because it's a long distance between your voice and the microphone, uh, that would be really helpful for everybody that's going to be listening later, at a later date, to this podcast. Um, so that brings me to my next question for you. I'm ready. Uh, and this is an internet question. Came in from the internet. It's a wonderful dark place out there. Um, when archery A zone opens up, does that also mean that archery bear A zone opens up? Or is that a different date? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, it's kind of confusing. The regulations aren't very clear. Uh, our big game digest is very clear in when what seasons start and what method it takes starts. But to, to explain it, so section 365 in the Title 14, which are regulations made by the Fish and Game Commission, spell out where you can hunt bears in the state and when the season start. Well, that 365 section is the general bear season. So uh, basically any method. And for A-Zone, uh, well, what 365 says is that that's, you can start hunting bears with the concurrently with opening day of the general deer season in those areas. Well, the general deer season in A-Zone opens the second Saturday in August. So you can hunt with a, a firearm second Saturday in August in A-Zone. You go to section 366, which is the archery bear season, and it says in those areas shown provided in 365, which is where you can hunt bears, the archery bear season opens the third Saturday in August. So the question remains is, is you have, you can shoot with a rifle on the second Saturday in August in A-Zone, but you can't hunt with the bow until the third Saturday in August. It's kind of a weird thing. So, uh, but no, you can hunt with that. That archery seasons apply is really for all the other B zone, C zone, D zones, mm -hmm. and X zones, except for the X one, which have their own openings. But uh, for A zone, you can hunt them with a firearm the second Saturday in August, based on the 365 season. So bear season doesn't open in A zone until the second Saturday in, in August. August. Yeah. So even though, even though you know the archery deer season in A zone opens the second Saturday in July, 
you can't hunt bears until that third Saturday in, well, the second Saturday in August in a zone. Mm-hmm. But every other zone, it, it kind of flows very cleanly. Like the D zones that open up the third, archery season opens up the third Saturday in August. So you can hunt deer and bear at the same time. Uh, and same thing with a bunch of the X zones open up the same day. So that's, that's it's, it's just, it's confusing. It's, it could be rewarded to be cleaner mm-hmm. uh, for, for you guys. But the Big Game Digest uh, is very clear. It says, this is the date you can hunt here uh, with this method, and that it's very easy to understand. Would there ever be any hopes of an archery season for bear opening up in the second or third Saturday of July when archery A zone opens? I don't see why not. I mean, it would, that's something that would have to go to the commission, uh, which is something we might want to just do a quick explanation about the commission. Uh, but the commission regulates the season, uh, a, a season of taking, the methods of take. And uh, so it would have to go in front of them, and they would have to decide. And this is where then the department would get involved and say, uh, y- yes, the population can support this extra effort of, of hunting on the you know, We have a quota in California, so the effort is, or the take is predetermined mm-hmm. what the population can, can handle. So it, it'd be simply just saying gives more opportunity for hunters, essentially. Um, but yeah, so for those of you who aren't aware of what the Fish and Game Commission is, it's a, a five-member panel that are appointed by the governor, and uh, they take recommendations and data from the department and make decisions based uh, affecting the take of all hunting, all fishing, endangered species in the state, uh, and they, they make those decisions. And all those are, uh, they're guided by the Fishing Game Code, which is the, the laws that are made by the legislature. Hmm. Adrian, you had a question in yeah, the back? This goes back to bears, but are there counties in which you cannot hunt bears at all? There are. So it's not a general A zone, it's particular counties. Yeah, so, so counties like San Diego, there's no bear season. I believe San Luis Obispo, there's no bear season. Um, Sonoma County? Sonoma County? Right, that's right, Mendoa North, isn't it? So Sonoma has no bear season. Um, not but, being. So where in A zone can you hunt bear then? Lake County. Okay. Uh, parts of Mendo. Are still in a zone. Um, okay. Yeah, there are some areas. I think it would, it would provide if we opened up an earlier archery season, it would provide more opportunity for for archery deer hunters in in the a zone in those counties that are open to bear hunting at least within the a zone. Is Katahdi available? Katahdi <laughs> City. Yeah, Katahdi is down the road. Right. Are there a bunch of bears in town that come into town? Yeah, they got that two sides. Really? Yeah. They got a bunch of apple orchards around Katati? Yeah, right in the middle of town, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, those are, uh, the, the town bears are, are becoming, I mean, just from my anecdotal view, we're getting a lot of bears that are coming into the cities. 
It was very prevalent during the five-year drought as those bears were just searching. They're survivors. They're not just going to wither up and die. They're going to go on the hunt for food and water. So they were coming into the cities and really causing our biologists and wardens uh, a bunch of problems. Uh, but now that we're kind of out of that drought cycle, uh, we're still getting bears coming into cities. And whether that's an expanding population or just a, a young bear that's out looking for his own territory, I, I don't know. One more bear question. So say all this works out, you actually do shoot a bear. How long do you actually have before you have to bring it in? I've heard some conflicting reports about like 10 days or immediately on your way, or is there an actual hard and fast rule? Um, the, the, the law says immediately, right? You have to, on your way home, you have to get a countersign. Well, bears are different than deer. It has to be a department employee that validates that bear. Uh, there's a fish and game code section that says uh, more people can validate it, but that's overridden by uh, a regulation that says only fish and game employees can validate bears. So on a Sunday, unless you run into a game warden, it's going to be very difficult to find a fish and game employee. So we have a, uh, you have 10 days to bring in that, the skull to the department so we can pull that tooth. Uh, so we can understand, we age the bears and that gives the biologists an idea of what the, uh, the overall age class of the population is. Uh, but the validation is, has got to be immediately or reasonable, right? It's, uh, but there is no hard and fast, like if it's seven days, you're getting a ticket type thing. It's situational. Any more bear questions? Yeah, so for the exciting part of bears, because everybody in California wants to know this, is there any discussion of a spring bear season in California? If there's discussion, it's, it's a coffee table discussion. It's not, I, I doubt there's any official uh, discussion about opening up a spring bear. Um, I think with the political climate in California, uh, it would be very difficult to uh, convince a, an appointed panel to open up a spring bear season. I think it would be, it'd be really, really tough. And, and I might even go as far as saying it would be political suicide for, for those commissioners to, to look at that seriously. Uh, would it be with the current quota system that we have set in place? Would it be effective? It would, it would help us reach the quota, sure. It would, it would definitely open up more opportunities for hunters, which I would love to see, uh, regardless of the quota being increased or, or kept the same. It would still it would provide more opportunity for hunters. When was the last time that the quota was actually reached? I don't have the official year. I mean, we're going on what, about five years without hounds now. Uh, it was probably a couple of years before that because we didn't reach the quota every year even when we were hunting them with hounds. So that argument of we'll never reach the quota without hounds, well, we didn't reach it every time with, a, with hounds. So, um, yeah, probably six, seven years ago, I'd imagine. Okay. What about two times? Yeah, that's another option, right, is 
is, is, but what we're getting at now is like, is our goal to reach the quota? Is that our goal, right? Um, that's the maximum, you know, when that quota was set in place, that was the maximum allowable take out of the population to, to maintain a healthy population. Now, has the population of bears risen since then? Probably. Uh, but without concrete data, we can't say that as a department for sure. We, we can't go in front of the commission and say, we believe there's this many bears, but we can't prove it to you. So, you know, any, any rational person is going to look at that skeptically and say, like, eh, I don't think we can make a decision based on we think. Uh, so, so that's where that data comes in, right? That's where the biologists and their surveys come in very, very importantly in this whole process. Because they can go to the commission and say, hey, we did this study. This was our, uh, you know, how accurate we, we believe we are. And this is how we can, you know, help by slowing the growth of the population or, or how the bear management's done. Do you happen to know when the quota was set in place? That's when that number was set? I can try and figure that out. If you give me a minute, I can do it. But uh, your question was when was the bear quota originally put into? Correct. I'll see if I can dig it up quick. Anybody got any other questions while I'm looking? I can multitask. I promise. Well, obviously, it would dovetail with the spring bear season. Has there been any any research done on how bears impact farm recruitment during that period? There have been studies done, mortality studies done on fawns, uh, but. I don't think there's been studies on how a, a spring bear season would affect fawn mortality from bears. Um, I'm not even sure how, like, what percentage of our bear population hibernates. Like, you go to a lot of the Rocky Mountain states that allow a spring bear season, they're hunting these bears straight out of, out of the dens, basically. Not in the dens, but as they're coming out of the dens. So, uh, you know, we have it in some areas, I'm sure. I'm sure our bears hibernate in certain parts of the state. Um, but we do, we have studies that say bears kill fawns. And that's, that's proven. And I think that's a widely accepted uh, principle. But is it, is it natural, you know, just natural predation? Or is, it, is the bear population high enough to where the amount of fawns that they remove is substantially affecting the recruitment of, of fawns into the herd. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if the studies have gotten that far yet. So we're going to start segueing. If you if you find the quota, that's great. I'll keep looking. If you don't, don't worry about it. So we'll segue into um, a little bit of firearms. We have the lead ammunition ban coming up. Uh, some people are confused as far as carrying lead in your sidearm, um, but coming out of bears and predator hunting, I mean not all predator hunting, just 
coming out of bear hunting. Um, in California, when you're predator hunting, you can carry a sidearm. But if you have a deer tag in your pocket, you cannot have a sidearm on your person. Is there ever going to be a time when you can carry a sidearm on you while you're deer hunting? And just to uh, clarify. With a bow. Right. With a bow. Thank Thank you. Sorry. Right. That was going to be my clarification. Yeah. When you're archery hunting under either during the archery only season or under the an archery only tag. Mm -hmm. I know there are groups that are fighting to get that uh, to 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 allow you know, people to carry concealed firearms while they're archery deer hunting. Uh, do I think it'll come at some point? I go, I, th- I think it probably will. Uh, it's just it's just baby steps in this this whole legal process. So. Um, but you know, you mentioned the, the non-lead and some misconceptions into the when you're when you're hunting, right? You can have a sidearm in your possession uh, for personal protection. Uh, that ammunition in that sidearm does not need to be non-lead. Mm-hmm. It can be leaded bullets. It it just that sidearm cannot be used in any way, shape, or form to take an animal, an animal at all. So another question is, <clears throat> can law enforcement carry a sidearm while hunting deer? Yeah, Laws, law enforcement is, are the only people that can uh, carry sidearms during, uh, you know, during archery season or under an archery on attack. Uh, at this point, not even CCWs can, can do it. So you, you had said that you can't have a concealed weapon on you. So if I was bow hunting, can I have an exposed sidearm for protection with me? Are we talking about... No, 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 no. That's, that's a separate law. Just possession of a firearm while archery hunting is any kind of firearm regardless. So Unless predator hunter. Uh, let, yeah. Are we, yeah, we, we're talking about predators, we're we talking about big game. Well, just deer, you know, deer, everything in general, you need to go to... I guess if you go to, you know, B-Zone for archery, deer, archery, So if you have a deer tag on your person, you cannot have a sidearm. What if you have a deer and a bear tag? You cannot have you a sidearm. Have, you have to go with the most strict uh, regulation. So if you're, if you're archery hunting in the B zone, so I'll throw this scenario out there. If you're archery hunting in the B zone under an archery only tag, and you have a bear tag with, as well, you are limited to archery only. You have that, you know, if you have a firearm with you, then it can easily be said that you're in possession of a firearm while archery deer hunting under an archery only tag. So you have to go with the most strictly regulated activity. That clears mud? Yeah, because, you know, I'm taking my you know, nine year old with me into, you know, bow hunting with me in bear country. It's a it's a peace of mind, thing, yeah. right? And uh, it's it ha- any encounters like that are so rare. I mean, we had a guy last year, I think you interviewed, mm-hmm. who was archery deer hunting and had a lion stalking him, 
and and he chopped the lion right in the mouth or right in the eyeball, and uh, the lion was done, dead. He had no firearm on him. Yeah. So it, it's more of a peace of mind thing uh, that 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 firearm is going to protect you from this these wild animals. Those 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 kind of encounters are very rare. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, so so from the law enforcement perspective, you we have to show is it it's it's hunt deer, you know, possession you know, possession of a firearm while deer hunting. So there's some elements that we have to meet there. Right? One, you have to be in possession of the firearm. Two, you have to be deer. Hunting. So we have to be able to show in in a in a case in a report that you were deer hunting. And if you're sitting at camp you know, eating a sandwich, drinking a beer, you know, and it's, you have a pistol on you, you're not actively deer hunting. So you're not going to get a ticket for that. Uh, what about your vehicle? I'll throw that scenario out there. A lot of people road hunt, you know, out of their vehicle all over the state. And if you are during the archery season under an archery deer tag, or during the archery only season or under an archery only tag and you're riding the the side of the road you know glassing down the hill with the binos and passengers glassing up the hill with the binos it's safe to say you're deer hunting and if you're in possession of a firearm in that vehicle are you in possession of a firearm while deer hunting yeah i think you are now whether the, the warden on that particular contact writes that ticket or not I think the elements have been met. So it, you just need to be aware that you know, possession is a, you know, we've all watched, probably watched cop shows and possession is a broad definition. It, it can be. And, and, and wardens are afforded a high level of discretion, right? Um, and every warden develops their own enforcement philosophy uh, at what threshold they're gonna write a ticket. So uh, as long as they meet the elements of the, the violation, they meet the elements of the violation. That's, that's their prerogative to write that ticket or not. We're not being told, you will write this ticket. Nobody's telling us, you will write lead tickets. Not that, you know, people hunting with lead ammo. Nobody's telling us that. Um, so it's up to each warden to, you know, come up to their own threshold of writing each individual violation or each individual section, and there are a lot of them. You know, it's, as you guys trying to navigate these regulations see, there are a lot of regulations when you're talking about hunting and fishing. So, it's tough. It, it's, it's tough to be a game warden in California, and it's actually easier when you have a, a very black and white perspective, because then that decision's already made for you. You did this, you're gonna take it. It's very easy, but, you know, Wardens have to, at least for me, and I'll speak for myself, is just having a, a consistent enforcement philosophy has served me well in my career. Uh, that way nobody can question me like, oh, well, you wrote this guy a ticket for this, but you let this guy go. No. If you've got a loaded gun on a vehicle, you're getting a ticket. That's it. So, by loaded, I mean in the chain. On a, on a way open to the public. So. 
So with the lead ammunition ban coming up, and that goes into full effect July 1st, um, how will wardens be enforcing the lead ammunition? How will they be able to look at a bullet and understand yes, that there's lead or no, this is a copper projectile? Short answer, they won't, right? It's, uh, uh, unless you're hunting with an old, you know, lead tip bullet, a lot of these, the new bullets coming out either have uh, some sort of plastic tip that hides what's in the core of that bullet. Uh, so at face value, it's a very difficult thing for a warden to do, to, to look at a bullet. Now, are there things like uh, brands like Hornaday that... Uh, if you take their GMX bullet and their SST bullet, one being non-lead, the other one being leaded, uh, they look side by side, they look exactly like. They both have red tips and it's hard to tell. But you look at Hornaday and you go like, oh, one has a, a I think the term is furled candy lure, the other one has a smooth candy lure. Oh, that's a way you can tell. If somebody, if the hunter was, uh, trying to pull one over and say, oh, oh no, these are GMX bullets when they're actually SST bullets. Or they get a box of GMX and put SST bullets in it and say, uh, oh yeah, here's my box of my ammo. There are ways to tell. Uh, there is no, no hard and fast rule, like when, when we enforce it for say waterfowl, right? Which has been non-toxic for decades. Uh, we have a tool called the Hot Shot. Not every, but not every warden has them. Uh, most, a lot of the guys in the, a lot of the wardens in, in waterfowl areas do, uh, where it can read what type of shot is in in the shell. We don't have that luxury with bullets yet. Mm -hmm. So there's no hard and fast way to enforce that rule, that law, uh, and, and it puts wardens in a, in a in a tough position to. To enforce it, right? so the obvious things like you, if you're out hunting with a, a lead-tipped bullet, that's pretty easy. That's a no-brainer. Whether the warden writes you a ticket or not, or says you're done, go home and get some non-lead ammo. Uh, that's up to the officer. But you know, I can't. It's it's a tough thing. It's a it's a tough thing to enforce. Uh, but you know, down in the in the Conroe say in the southern A zone. Uh, where they've been dealing with this for years, right? I think seven years now. Um, compliance is very high on, on it. So uh, hunters are, are coming around, it's new. It, uh, those of us in Northern California who haven't had to deal with, or those deer hunters in Northern California who haven't had to deal with this are, they're skeptical of it, they're curious, they don't know what to do, they, you know, but my experience, and I have quite a bit with the non-lead, is it's very effective and it, it can easily harvest game in California. You have to practice with it because it will shoot differently in your rifles. So that's my two cents. It cleans differently too. Right, yeah. So it, it it's a, has more, co uh, more copper fouling you have to be aware of. So you, your, your barrel cleaners have to be a little bit different. Your, your processes have to be a little different. but. Uh, I found that the bolts that I shoot out of my rifles uh, are, are just as, if not more accurate than lighted bolts. So, 
I have no problem shooting. Does anyone have any questions about lead? No? All right. Um, well, we'll just dive into the next subject. Why don't, uh, we, why don't we open it up for a question? We, yeah, sure. Let's open it up. Open Free it up. Free range question. I got a question. Yes, sir. When I used to read the regulations, when you walk around in the dark with a gun and a flashlight, I think you were limited to D-cell flashlights, two D-cell battery flashlights. Now with the LED flashlights and rechargeable batteries, is there a limit on what you can carry in the field in the dark? So I, I don't think you were limited by the number of batteries. I, I think your there's a section that talks about batteries, but that, I mean, if you're out hiking, right, and you have that flashlight, it's how you're using that flashlight that is the issue, right? If, if you're walking down a trail, that light projects in a particular way. If you're sweeping, and I know this is hard for the people on listening to this, but if you are sweeping in an arc with that flashlight into the fields and forests of the state, it's not your normal walking, right? You're looking for something at that point. So that's how we would say this, this person is, is using that light in an unauthorized way. But yeah, there is a section that talks about battery, nine volts or less, or three, three cell batteries. Uh, with the advent and the, as light technology has improved, which it has greatly over the last 10 years, 15 years, uh, LED lights and you know, you can get 1,000 lumen, 2,000 lumen lights that are running on three, three volt uh, CR123 batteries. Uh, so the, the regulation needs to come into the 21st century, or the law, that's a law, it needs to come into the 21st century to address that. So I think what one you were talking about, the use of a handheld flashlight that is no longer or emits no more light than a two cell three volt flashlight and is not affixed to the weapon. It's saying that, that this section doesn't apply to those lights. But uh, the section is uh, unlawful to throw or cast rays of a spotlight, headlight, or other artificial light on a highway or in, in a field, woodland, forest where game animals, fur-bearing mammals, or non-game animals are commonly found. So we're going to, just using a light is not enough to, to write that ticket. It's how you're using it. And we have to be able to articulate that in a report. Okay. So that regulation is more for spotlight. Oh, it's spotlighting. That's legal spotlighting for like coyotes or both. Both. Yeah, I mean, it, it covers like what the the 2005 of the Fishing Game Code is. This is the section. Uh, it talks about use of lights a little bit for for what you can do, but it also says what you can't do. So, uh, primarily the spotlighting from a vehicle is the big one. Yes, sir. Is there a legal limit for poundage in archery? Like, is 30 pounds, 40 pounds, uh, how far to project an arrow? I know this state's a little different than other states have poundage. Like 30 pounds is legal, 40 pounds is legal. What, right. What is, what is our minimum now? That's a great question that I think just went through the Fishing Game Commission recently, and maybe it's in my new book. Let me check real quick. 354 of the Fishing Game of the Title 14. So 
just to talk about it while I'm looking this up, uh, it used to be that somebody was archery hunting for primarily, I'm assuming the question is for big game. So if somebody that was archery hunting for big game had to use a bow capable of casting an arrow 130 yards in a horizontal direction. Uh, all right, that was the minimum. That was the minimum requirement. Now, 130 yards is not that far, and you probably, even though your bow can do that, you're probably not a bow you can use, would want to use for big game. With a normal hunting arrow that's heavier, right? So, uh, but let me see if that's in these new regs, because I, I, I thought it went through where it put a poundage minimum on that. Oh, in my in my thing, it's still talking about no bow, crossbow may be used, which will not cast a legal hunting arrow, except flu flu arrows, a horizontal distance of 130 yards. Um, so, no, there's no minimum. At this, no, yeah, still casting. Uh, I, I I know this went in front of the commission recently. Uh, and they were talking about a 30 pound minimum, but that's not. This was just sent to me like two yeah. weeks ago, so. Uh, I would still stick with the 130 yard rule. Yeah. So, cast narrow 130 yards. And seven eighths cutting diameter for broadheads for, broadhead. for big game uh, and, and turkeys still at seven eighths inch diameter. Even for turkey? And turkeys now, yeah. That changed a few years ago. We were getting a lot of, which we still are. Every year we get turkeys running around with field points in their necks, you know, uh, and but yeah, so now it's turkeys as well. Basically, what it says when hunting turkeys with uh, archery equipment, you must follow the rules in, yeah. in the big game section. Makes sense. Next question. What about the new garment site? You right, yes. Yeah, we brought that up earlier. No, no, we, we hadn't brought it up on the podcast though. So uh, the new garment site is legal in California. It projects no light. It's a range-finding tool. Um, it, if anything, it makes the hunter more effective, which in archery is what we want, right? We want, I would love to say that archery, we don't lose any animals with archery. About, I, I could say that about as much as I could say we don't lose any animals with firearm hunting. There are animals that get hit with arrows and bullets that are not recovered. It's it's the nature of the game and it's unfortunate. And it's probably one of the worst things as a hunter, one of the worst feelings that you can get. That the fact that you injured that animal and can't recover it. So uh, a two, uh, something like the Garmin site that makes the hunters more effective is good. Right? So maybe it will, it will reduce some dead loss down the road. That we, I think all of us as ethical hunters would like to see that. Yeah. With, I understand like, how losing animals, what is the law? I heard some people say you can cross a fence if it's private property. I've always been told you cannot cross a fence if it crosses private property. Um, but if that landowner touches that animal, they can get wanton waste. That's what I was told on our property by Gordon. If I lost the buck and I can see him on the other side of the fence and that landowner says, no, I cannot touch it, 
and he says if he walks up, grabs him, drags him, he can get a ticket for one week. The the landowner. The landowner. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, I don't see how you would yeah. that. That would even meet the elements of want and waste. Um, so, all right, so you're hunting private property or you're hunting national forest next to private property, whatever. You shoot an animal and it goes on to private land. Uh, legally, can you access that property? No, you can't. Uh, do you have a legal obligation to attempt to make a reasonable effort recovering that game? You absolutely do. You have a, a legal and ethical uh, requirement to recover that game. So, so that puts you in a pickle, right? You're, you're that hunter, you're that ethical hunter who wants to retrieve that, that deer or pig or bear or whatever. And what do you do, right? Do you, because if you go onto their property and with a method of take, you could be potentially cited for hunter trespass. Right? And that's not your intent, right? Your intent is not to trespass to hunt. It's your your intent is to go get your animal. So, a couple of things you should do. If that happens, one, you need to make an, an attempt to contact the landowner. Now, we have, with tools like Onyx, uh, where we can find out the landowner, we may not be able to get in touch with them. They may not even live on the property. Maybe may be a, a you know, vacant landowner, right, who lives in Florida. Who knows? Um, the next call needs to be to a warrant. Uh, and these calls come into Caltip, you know, every once in a while, people call, because that's the only number, like on a Saturday or Sunday, that you're going to get a hold of somebody unless you have a warden's number. Uh, so, last resort, I mean, I'm not going to tell you to trespass. I can't tell you to trespass legally, right? Because whether it's penal code trespass or fish and game trespass, I can't tell you to do that. Um, So it, it's, it's, it, puts, it puts the wardens in a tough pickle. We're not going to tell you to break the law. We can't tell you to break the law. That's basically what I'm getting at. Uh, your ethical obligation and your moral, right? Your, your internal morals are going to just sink. You're going to look at it and go like, I can't get it. Right? Uh, so you can't escort somebody? You, if you showed up, you couldn't escort people? Yes, we absolutely can. Yeah, absolutely. That's your best case scenario, right? Is to get a hold of a warden to to assist in recovering that animal. But you need, don't you guys need permission first? No, not particularly. Um, it, it private land entry is is one of the things that are afforded to to wardens. Um, you know, if we if we see the. Uh, believe there's some hunting activity or some resource use activity going on on our property, we, we can enter that private property. So, uh, and we would make you know, every effort to contact that landowner uh, prior to entering. It just, it's a common courtesy thing, right? We're not there to piss off landowners. We, we want to have a good working relationship with landowners. So, uh, and we want landowners to understand that hunting is lawful in California. And it, we, we've all heard horror stories of somebody shooting an animal and running on a piece of private property and the neighboring landowner would just be like, no, I'm anti-hunter or you're not getting this deer. Well, if, if they sat rationally about it for a second, that, that animal is just going to go to waste, right? And that's, that's bad on everybody's part. So, yeah, we would, we would make those efforts, right, to, 
you know, keep everybody happy. We're playing the mediator a lot in this job. So, yes, sir. I got a question. Do I have to let you drive on my property, or can I make you walk onto my property? Well, that's a that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, legally. Legally. Why yes. are we there? I don't know. Say you come up to my gate and you want to drive on my property, and I'm not going to open my gate for you. No, you don't have to. I don't no. have to open the gate. No. You can then you can walk, and I understand. You if if, if we believe there's there's hunting activity going on, right? Because the, yeah. the 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 game belongs to the people of the state, right. right? And we are charged with enforcing the rules that regulate the take of those animals. So right. we're, we're afforded that ability to enter private lands under certain situations. So yeah, sure, you don't have to open the gate. Uh, under exigent circumstances, could, you know, if, if the warden believes that there's a violation that's uh, ongoing or they're gonna lose if they don't get on there quickly, can they cut the lock? Yeah, right? And, you know, then we're responsible for that gate at that point, you know, fixing it. Uh, so it doesn't happen very often, but it happens. So, but no, I mean, you can say no, you, yeah, you don't want us to drive, then just tell us. We won't drive. Okay. We'll walk. Anybody else? Do we have to go back to the email questions? Yeah, we can go back to the internet. Um, with, the buck to doe ratio seeming pretty heavy on the doe side. Is there ever any talk about a doe season or why the, why there isn't a doe season in California? I know that we have some either sex tags right. in some areas, but is that ever gonna be? Well, I, I, so if, if we're going to make the assumptions that that the buck to doe ratio is is in an unhealthy level, right? So we have to make an assumption because I don't know. I mean, I can't say that in in the areas where I hunt that the buck to doe ratio is a, is is off. It could be I'm just hunting in an area that there are no bucks, and all I've seen is does. Um, it's possible, <laughs> right? Um, but. Even if you're, you're only seeing does, does that mean the buck to doe ratio is off? No, it doesn't. Uh, and what is an unhealthy level? So is there talk about uh, having doe hunts in areas? Sure there are. Um, are there other factors that come into allowing doe hunts that aren't commonly known, that um, I think people should be aware of? For antlerless hunts in California, the counties, either the County Fish and Game Commission, which is similar to the State Fish and Game Commission, just on the county level, they're appointed by the Board of Supervisors, or the Board of Supervisors themselves, if there's no Fish and Game Commission, County Fish and Game Commission, uh, has veto power over antlerless hunts in California. So, if you look at one junior deer hunt in particular on the west slope of the Sierras, uh, the hunt area covers five, four or five different counties. And only one of those five, four or five counties allows doe hunt. The other four, three or four, say, we don't want doe hunts in our county. So even though these are, this is a junior hunt with, I don't know, 50 tags over a, a pretty good size area, 
Now we're focusing 50 does potentially to come out of that one county, whereas we could spread it over five counties. So that, that's a hurdle that our, our department and, and the public involvement in your counties could uh, turn around. I mean, it, it's, it's as simple as going to a, a monthly Fish and Game Commission meeting and, and bringing the subject up. How would somebody get in contact with a deer biologist for a specific region? I mean, without going on your computer right now and, and digging up uh, contact information. So I'm not sure if on the general web page it, it lists the unit biologist for a particular area. I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, in the Big Game Digest, in all the zones, it, we give, it gets a phone number for a particular, you know, that area to call. A lot of those are just the regional offices within that that hunt area or that, that hunt area falls into. So, which may may or may not be helpful. Um, you, know, you can get a hold of a person and ask to be transferred to the biologist for Modoc County. Uh, that might be the best you, you can get, but. It's worth a shot. I think there's I think there's access under the if you go under the, the management programs, you can dig down into it through there. So if you on the on the fishing game website there's the you know the deer management program, black bear management program, et cetera, et cetera. I think with if I remember right underneath there, you can get into the biologist aspect or maybe it's another way around. I I found it on the website but it, there's there's contact information there from my previous phone calls. <laughs> Are you looking up right now? I'm gonna try and find it just to see. There's the wildlife branch. I mean, you could always call them. So let's let's click on that and see where that takes you. Program contacts, and then it says deer, elk, antelope program contacts. Black bear program is currently the position's vacant. Saying uh, bighorn sheep. Talk about unit. Uh, let's see, deer program. So the way the state is uh, is set up. So like these these program the, the deer program biologist or coordinator um, works out of Sacramento, and then each region has their own biologists that work under the regional manager. So there's no real direct like supervisory line there. The, the, the deer program manager biologist in Sacramento does not supervise the, the unit biologist in Humboldt County. They have to work, uh, they have to coordinate with each other and uh, it's not the most effective system. Right? I mean if you're, you want to get data, uh, accountability is, is good, right? But there's no direct line supervision there. Mm -hmm. from, from that. So you have to work collectively to, to meet, you know, get the data to the right person so they can make recommendations to the commission to make these changes. Um, I would, I'd probably know this by going to some meetings too, but um, with new initiatives to try to acquire and retain hunters, are there more opportunities for youth being talked about, like um, acquiring preference points before they're 12 or 
Yeah, so I think what you're referring to is the, the R3 program, the re, you know, recruitment, retention, and reactivation program that is, is currently, you know, the department is working with NGOs uh, to develop a plan to recruit, retain, and reactivate hunters. So I'm not part of uh, that particular side. I mean, I would say pre-purchasing points. In my experience, we're not losing on the youth, right? We're losing on the adults. Um, and I'll shift gears, but I'll come back to your question. Um, I, I think we get roughly 30,000 or so people through hunter education every year. Yet we are still on an annual decline of license sales. So there's something going on there. Is, is if we're, we're certifying 30,000 people, why are we still going down every year? Are we losing 31,000 people a year? I don't think so. I don't think it's that high. Uh, some people are buying a hunting license oh, to buy a firearm. Oh wait, but they already have to, because if you have a valid uh, hunting license, you can, you know, if you're 18 to 21, you can buy a long gun. But that means they bought a hunting license. So where are we losing, right? And, and where is the opportunity most, going to be most effective? Is it going to be on the kids? And we have a lot of public, we have a lot of uh, programs for juniors. We have a lot of deer hunts, elk hunts, antelope hunts for juniors. Could we have more? Absolutely. We can always have more. Uh, but if we're trying to look at it from a, a perspective of how do we recruit, retain, and reactivate more hunters, uh, more junior programs may not be the best investment that we have. The preference point thing for juniors, uh, it's an interesting idea. Uh, I think what that would do is that would gain early success and plant that seed of, of a positive experience instead of you know, that kid going hunting for four, five, six, seven years with no success. <laughs> He's gonna get tired of it, right? I mean, kids- like For a good example is our son, we have to take out of state to go hunting. How's, how old's your son? He's 10. So I have the same problem with my son, right? He's 11. And we hunted deer in Arizona last year, and we're hunting elk in Arizona this year. He is. And, right, so at what point is California going to reduce the minimum age on big game? I don't know. There's, is the analogy back to fishing where you're successful bluegill? Yeah, you just want to get success. You want them to get a taste of success. And it seems like any opportunity to expand on that would be a great idea. Even pigs. Right, if yeah, pigs. And I know it got shot down, but you know, we were going to get rid of the big game status for pigs. But it's said juniors, right? So why is that? Yeah, what is, it, it's, it's something bigger, right? That, that I'm not privy to. Uh, I, is it a safety thing, right? It, I think we can look at other states that have no minimum age on big game hunting and look at their hunter casualty statistics and find that there is no significant correlation in the number of hunting accidents and age. Uh, it, it would probably be, it would be very surprising to me 
if I looked at those and said, saw any uh, kids in accidents at, at a significantly high level, it, it just it's just not going to happen. It's it's complacency in adults that is is one of the big factors. So um, yeah, so why do we have it? I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing, right? Um, one thing that everybody needs to be aware of is the sunset clause on the, it was a five-year clause where, where they raised the junior age on hunting licenses. Right? That, that expires. Right? That's a five-year five -year window. Right? So we need to get that set in stone uh, just in the, in the grand scheme of things. So for, for the long run and forever. Right? It, I, it seems I, like it's a great way to retain the older hunters too if they can keep the younger generation circle it's not just like this investment or that investment it's the whole package absolutely right families right mentorship is a big thing I, i'm mentoring my son you guys are mentoring your son uh, it's easy there uh family so encouraging that is, is good uh, another mentorship thing is is the adult new adult hunters what we refer to as adult onset hunters uh Hunting is a, is, is a lifetime of learning. And if you're getting into hunting as an adult, you are 20, 20 years behind the curve, I mean, in some cases. So it's very difficult for adult hunters to get into hunting and be successful. And at what point do you say, I'm, I'm it, I'm done. I've invested enough and I've had no success. I don't get this thing. I see all these people on YouTube being successful, why can't I be successful? I'm out, I'm done. Or that, or, and I'm just on a terror about this right now. People look at other people being successful and they go years and years and years without success. So they pressure themselves into going down a darker path, sure. which is poaching in order to look better for their Instagram account or their YouTube channel, or, you know, just to have namesake and clout in their group of friends that maybe had killed a buck a year or two or three years prior to them. Sorry. No, no, that's, that's, a, that's a soapbox you got on there for a second. I'll get on it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, success is, is, it's more about the kill, right? It's more than just the kill. It's the experience of being in the backcountry in whatever state you're in, uh, or spending time with your, your friends and family. So when people start rationalizing lack of success into those, as you refer to as dark areas, that's, that's bad. Right? We don't want that. They're obviously not into hunting for hunting. They're into hunting for uh, their ego. And ego's bad. You know, when you throw ego into hunting, it, it causes uh, ego and entitlement. Those two things are, are probably 99% of, of most poaching incidents in California. There are some that happen by accident. It does happen. But most are ego or entitlement. So motivation uh, sort of aside there, have you seen any correlation between success rates in an area and infractions? Like for, for an area that say, you know, that the uh, 60 plus percent exos, I mean, do they have fewer infractions than the whatever Maybe the B zone is hovering around, or just just sort of anecdotally. Yeah, I, I think it's it's probably just a sheer numbers game, right? It, it's 
So do you as the hunter feel more pressure to harvest an animal after applying for a zone for seven years? Is that pressure there? Yeah, I think so. I've waited seven years to draw this tag. I'm killing a deer. Now, how many people actually go to the, as Andy said, the dark side <laughs> and, and poach something to be successful? I'm sure some do. Uh, Number-wise, uh, I couldn't tell you. I could tell you. Having worked a significant length of time in a uh, general public zone with lots of public land, I would say almost every incident of poach incident of poaching is is ego or entitlement related. It's either a big buck that they want those antlers, or it's it's I paid for this tag, I'm killing a buck. So, and, and you know I, I can think back to a lot of the interviews that I've done over, over the years, and, and it comes down to entitlement, and greed. So. Has there ever been any discussion about having a season for swans? Uh, I, 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 serious discussion? Probably not. I mean, we've got a, a unfor I don't want to say unfortunately, but it is unfortunately, we, we have a mix of uh, tundra and crumpler swans. So uh, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, they are, I don't want to say indistinguishable, but they're very close to indistinguishable in a hunting situation where your uh, excitement and adrenaline is pumping when this giant five foot, six foot wingspan bird is gliding over you at Watch 10 feet. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it would be, it would have to take a person with a lot of experience to be able to identify that bird as a, one of the two, and I'm not even sure which one of the two is the uh, uh, more threatened bird. I think it's the trumpeter, the trumpeter is. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's just, I don't think we're going to see it here. We have too many of the trumpeters in our flyway than some other states. To risk it. Right. And the same thing goes with uh, the sandhill cranes, right? We have a, a different subspecies of the sandhill crane, and that's what precludes us from hunting sandhill cranes here in California. Our flyway has, uh, and I don't know what the, the difference is, but we can't help how about the domestic goose season? Are you referring to the uh, abundance of resident Canada geese that yes. now reside in California? Yes, the ones that cause all the hey, You can hunt them all hunt season long, and you're, as long as you abide by all the other laws, your distance from houses, your uh, city ordinances. If you have a golf course that does not fall under city or county prohibitions of discharge of firearms, you can hunt them during the waterfowl seasons or the early goose seasons that allow for it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an everywhere problem. There's a lot of resident Canada geese. So, can you shoot, let's say, turkeys or deer, I guess it doesn't really matter, inside a, wouldn't be a, a dwelling, I guess, so let's say a barn. Could you shoot a bow or a gun to harvest a deer or turkey or any of that out of the barn? Any country, you know, in a... So you're standing inside, inside the barn or inside your house or wherever. I'll say a barn. I'll say not a... Well, not a I'll say house. Or house. I'll, I'll say house. Could you shoot it out of your house? I'll say. Your house? Yeah. Absolutely. There's no 
law that affects that you shooting from your house. Uh, there is a law that says you can't discharge within 150 yards of an occupied dwelling or outbuilding used in, uh, what's it? In, Which you do not have permission for, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you, if you have permission, you're good. You can shoot right, you can be sitting at your kitchen table, see that big old buck walk across your lawn and you can shoot him. Now let's assume you're, not, you're more than 150 yards from your neighbor's house, unless they allow you to do it, they're okay with it. Um, but yeah, as long as you, you abide by all those rules, those safety zone rules, you're good to go. Well, I, I got it. Okay, do, all, do, do other counties have different rules on that though? So, that, yeah. Counties have their own. Right. That, that, so that, that's a good clarification. So depending on where you live, right, you, whether you're in an incorporated area of the city yeah, or yeah. in an unincorporated part of the county, there may be city ordinances or county ordinances that prohibit the discharge of firearms. Excuse me. So, uh, I would look into your local laws where you live about the discharge of firearms. Some areas are far more strict than others. Okay, so we know we can shoot out of our house, but I got a doe right now that's raising two fawns in my trailer barn and in my car barn. So if that buck starts bedding down inside my car barn or my trailer barn, can I shoot it in the trailer barn or the car barn? During the deer season? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, as, long, yeah as long as you meet all those other requirements about, you know, distance from your neighbors and their outbuildings. Yeah, there's, there's you, 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 you go ahead. Just yeah. don't, don't tell yourself later that you can't do that because then you don't have permission anymore. <laughs> so when your id starts talking to you, you just you just ignore it. She's not going to let you. Know. If you're a renter and your neighbors who are also renting are still within that range, and your landlord says do whatever you want, it's still up to the renters. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, definitely. Uh, if you're considering, uh, and this is a big issue up on the especially the west slope of the Sierras, and I'm sure there's areas here on the coast that, that it's an issue, but the five, 10 acre parcels that have a ton of deer and everybody wants to hunt them because your success rate's gonna be high, but you gotta make sure you're all these neighbors, everybody's good, right? Because then we go back to, you know, if you're archery hunting and you make a poor shot or just a, a good shot and that deer may run 100 yards and 100 yards across a five acre parcel, that thing's off your property. So you gotta be aware. And this is where knowing your neighbors comes in. And uh, you know, it, this isn't the 60s, right? We don't, not everybody knows your neighbors anymore. Um, it, it's unfortunate, but um, you know, you get to know your neighbors and, and you might find that they're uh, totally for it. Also, is a general A-zone buck tag sufficient for the early archery-only season with a bow, or do you need the archery-only tag? Uh, great question. So, if you, so your archery, let's talk about the two different tags. So, your A-zone tag is good in the A-zone archery and general season. Okay. Your archery-only tag is good in the A-zone archery, A-zone general, B-zone archery, B-zone general, okay. B-zone it's a six-month tag. It is a, it, it, and I think we talked about this last time, is it's the one opportunity you have. You can hunt from the second Saturday in July through December 31st. 
That's a long time to deer hunt California. It's a, in most other states, your deer season's nine days, five days. Uh, we have pretty good opportunity. I mean, and that affords you the ability to like, hey, I can't make it out all of August, but I'll go September, October, November. <laughs> so uh, it's an opportunity thing. We, we understand, and the wildlife managers understand that your success rates are going to be very low. And it's probably not going to be affect the population whatsoever, right? Especially if you're harvesting bucks. Uh, generally, buck harvest does not affect the population as a whole. There's always going to be bucks that get through and that breed the does. In general, is uh, releasing an arrow, loosing an arrow, considered discharge of a firearm? Or discharge, I should say. Give me a scenario. So, so same thing like in your, your um, you know, you've got, you're in an unincorporated, you're in an unincorporated area, right? And you're butting up against that, dish, that 150 yard rule. Would a, would a bow be different than, I think it, I think it varies county by county, but I don't know if there was a, a, a general rule, because I've actually looked it up and never been able to really clarify whether or not because um, I think it's like it says discharge of a weapon, and not, and most rules say discharge of a weapon, not discharge of a firearm. Yeah, it could, it could even come, it could even come down to that. I know, it, I know there's in, in like an in, in incorporated area, it's like, like you can't shoot in the backyard. But in unincorporated areas, no crosses, you know, all the county. Kind of in the county, you cannot run a car if you can't, and or you can't, body you cannot, in the, in the city limits. Yeah. So but it's projecting like, word that project that airsoft having caps. That's everything. Yeah. Right, that's slingshot. Yeah, that's that's low dart. Mostly, so it's just like a, a clarification to be pretty, pretty challenging, even if you're in the unincorporated areas. But so, like, I'm unincorporated, obviously, I would never discharge a firearm with yeah. my neighbor being 53 yards away. Yeah. Not that I've ever gone out with my rangefinder. Mm -hmm. um, but what about if I wanted to, to you know, shoot an arrow? Yeah, it's a considerate gun. So, all right, so I'm going to read you this section and just bear with me. And uh, so it is unlawful for a person other than the owner, person in possession of the premises, or having the express permission of the owner or person in possession of the premises, while within 150 yards of an occupied dwelling house, comma, residence or other outbuilding, or within 150 yards of a barn or other outbuilding, used in connection with an occupied dwelling, so something like a, a well house, a pump house, right, something like that. Uh, residence house or other building to either hunt or discharge a firearm or other deadly weapon while hunting. So that's clear. That's clear as mine, right? So your question was a bow. Yeah. It, it, the 150 yard rule applies to a bow. While hunting. While hunting. While hunting. Yeah. Right? So this is where the backyard target shooter is not hunting. This section does not apply to the backyard target shooter. Right. It's going to come down to your city ordinance or county code or whatever. Because it, it, it's hunting. Our, our code regulates the take of animals, right? Fish and game. 
and, and habitat, things like that. It's, uh, the penal code is other stuff, right? That's, there's a little bit of overlap, but not a ton. So that's why we always have to say, you know, you gotta look at your local regulations because they are different. As, as Hans said, it, it varies where you are. Does that sufficiently answer that question? So, did we answer yours, Adrian? Your yeah, question so. earlier about the recruitment and the yeah, kids. I just, um, I know it's like political state, but there's not a lot of opportunity for recruitment in Washington County. Mm -hmm. Spectrum, I guess, but it seems like in this with this particular initiative, that would be an opportunity. Right, more kid, more kid opportunities primarily. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it it could be it could be put in there as hey, we can offer more, um, you know, junior pig hunts on yeah, department land. Just pull, yeah. take the pigs and let them let the juniors hunt pigs. Or just let them hunt pigs. Just take, take, take that 12 year old restriction off of them. Yeah. But, but how easy it seems like it would be pretty easy, right? Well, I think that falls under a code section, so that's going to be a legislative, a legislative thing. Um, there, there, in, the, in the RFA community, there was a, a youth and family subgroup. So potentially that could be a recommendation coming out of there. I wasn't, I wasn't part of those groups, I don't know. There was also a licensing structure subgroup. So there's two different subgroups that could have potentially addressed that. And, and that, that actually may come as a part of a formal recommendation. But, but I'm, I'm sure that it, it was probably talked about. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see it. I, I mean, I'd love to see more kid opportunities. However, I mean, if we look at the big picture of, of wildlife in California, we're only managing California. Wildlife is a, a limited resource that we can only take X amount a year from. And that varies from year to year to year. So if we pull more, more critters out of that population and give them the juniors, now this is not referring to pigs, this is referring to everything else, yeah. uh, then we're taking away from adults. So that, there's got to be a balance at some point, right? And what do we use to balance that? The number of junior hunting licenses sold as compared to the number of adult hunting licenses sold. I don't know. I don't know how we would... Talking about science of wildlife management, does it matter if a junior or... No, no, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, we have a finite amount of resources in California. And let's say we can take a thousand deer from California. The deer doesn't know who put the bullet in it or the arrow in it. Um, so, but we know that only a thousand deer can be taken. So if we give 900 to adults and hundred to kids, doesn't matter the deer herd, but if we give you know, 500 to kids and 500 to adults, it matters to the adults, right? Cause your opportunity goes down. So we have to balance that somehow. Uh, and, and I don't know how we would do that or really you know, as far as figuring out the percentages. Okay. So free charge from bad deer rifles. In other states are allowing large more air guns to take game animals. Is California going to do something about that or are we going to be limited to turkeys? Well, you're not limited to turkeys. Let's, let's start here. Can you shoot, what was that? Can I shoot a deer with a no. no, no. Not, not currently, no big game can be taken with air rifles. So non-game and uh, turkeys and small game can be taken with air rifles. So your quail, your grouse, 
pheasants, turkeys. They come. How about the ones that shoot the arrows? That is not the legal method to take in California. Air guns, no matter what it shoots, it's not legal. Uh, I think you're asking the wrong question. Oh, okay. So, big thing. If, right. it's, if it's an air gun, no matter what projectile it puts out, you can't shoot big game in California. No. No. The, the code and the, the title, 14 of the regulations, say what you can do as far as methods of take. Right? We don't tell you what you can't do. If what you're talking about does not fall under the approved methods of take, then it's illegal. So that, that's a distinction I think needs to be made. So like your, your air-propelled arrow gun, what is it called, yeah. arrow gun? Yeah. Some, something like that is not legal in California, right? Just, it just doesn't fall under the uh, firearm. It doesn't fall under a, a bow or a crossbow. It's not a legal method to take in California. Uh, in regards to the big bore air rifles, it's not a legal method to take for big game. I don't think there's currently any consideration for uh, to allow air rifles to be taken for big game. The states that allow it are definitely in the minority in, in countrywide. It's, they're not that common. So, are they effective? Right? It's 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 sheer physics, right? Mass times velocity squared, or whatever that formula is. Right? If you throw a big bull, a big chunk of lead pellet at a deer at X velocity, you can't it, hunt with that. Uh, except when hunting with air rifles. There's one caveat to that law, except when hunting with an air gun. So then you, you know, it has the same force as a bullet traveling the same speed of the same mass. So what's the difference, right? But its effectiveness is not there. Its effective range is not there. Uh, could it be a primitive weapon? Sure. Lewis and Clark used air guns. Yes, they did. Very effectively. Yes, they did. I mean, so is it, is it possible some, some time down the road? Sure. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to get political, but if, if guns are banned in California, then all we have are pellet guns or air guns. Well, that one air gun show—they showed shooting those bad doves with air guns shooting shot shells. Oh, from the air guns? Yeah, well, they have shot shells from an air gun. They were shooting in California in an air gun. Did you say the bad doves, like the collared doves? The bad whatever, doves. whatever those ones are. Right right the collared doves. Yeah, those. Right. They yeah. Were yeah. I mean, it's a, that's a great opportunity. I mean, more people need to take it up on them. Uh, there's collar dubs are plentiful and shoot them around. Definitely. Any more questions from the audience? Or we get oh, all right. So let's say you want to clear lake and shot a thousand pound fish. What am I supposed to do with them? Do I dump them on my place? Is it legal to dump them along the road? Is it wood? Is there, is there a wanton waste there anywhere? I mean, it's a garbage fish. I don't think that's carp. Carp, yeah. I mean, so is carp a game no, fish, no. right? Is um, is it a native fish? No, it's not a native fish. Are black bass native to California? Are black bass native to California? No. But they're a game fish. Yeah. Okay. So, so we can't use native as a as an example, right? They're just carp are not a game fish. Uh, so. 
there is no obligation that you eat them, yeah. right? So, but dumping on the side of the road is considered litter, right? In California, the definition, there's only a couple of things you can legally litter in California, feathers and ice, or uh, there's something else too, right? Some, some weird thing, right? Cotton, I think maybe it is, uh, right? So uh, are you littering at that point? Yeah, you're littering at that point. So can you dump it on your property? I would bury it and then come plant some plants in that spot next year, you're gonna do good. Uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, no, you can't dump on the side of the road. Can you dump on your property? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Well, since Andy left, let's look at his list of questions from the internet. I have a quick question. All right, shoot. Um, are, what are the, uh, I guess, I don't even know if this would be sort of in, in like, yeah, it would be in the enforcement realm in terms of uh, preventing CWD transmission into California? Is there, it's just, you know, straight up, don't don't transport uh, carcasses into the state? Are there, are there any uh, more robust enforcement thoughts as, as, as the spread increases elsewhere? I think uh, to answer your question is, there is there thought? Yeah, there's thought. I mean, it, it depends significantly on who you're talking to. Um, is chronic wasting being found to be not just on cervids, you know, on deer, you know, in the spine, brain or spinal cord of deer? Yeah, it's being found on grasses that are being brought into the state mm -hmm. uh, from CWD infected states, but we don't limit those as far as I know. Uh, so By grasses, do you mean hay? I mean hay, like straw hay, alfalfa, right? But is it in the concentrations? Are the concentrations high enough that our deer are going to get it, right? I mean, that's, was there a successful transmission to a monkey? Yeah, but they force-fed that. That monkey was basically given highly infected meat with super high amounts of prions that finally took in the monkey. I mean, that's what it took. It's a lot higher than uh, what is naturally found. So uh, is the CWD in deer transferable to cattle? I think the cattle industry is more concerned, probably concerned about that and not. I've never heard that CWD is transferable to cattle. Is it similar? Yeah, there's, there's a similarity between CWD and say mad cow disease, but uh, you would see you you would see a much bigger uproar from the cattle industry if it were. So, um, as far as more robust enforcement, um, yeah, I mean, right now, currently, you can't bring the brain or spinal cord of a cervid into the state, right? So, deer, elk, and moose, uh, caribou, into California. But when you go out of state and you you get your elk tested for CWD, they don't take a sample from the brain or the spinal cord, right? They take it from the lymph nodes in the neck, but you can bring those in. So it's, it's I don't know, I'm not trying to make fun of the law, but it's, it, it's because the brain or spinal cord have it in, I, I believe in higher concentrations. 
Uh, and, and I'm no veterinarian. I wish I wish our vet Brandon Monk was here because he would give a, a dissertation and a very effective dissertation into CWD. Uh, but that's how they tested out of state. The, the several elk that I've had tested in Wyoming are uh, they pull lymph node from the neck, so and that's currently not prohibited to bring it in state. So I, I think there's probably talk about being a little more strict that it's just meat, right? Just boned out meat uh, that comes into the state. That might reduce the, the chances of it spreading into California. Uh, a natural spread, like from wildlife, is unlikely. And the reason for that is the Great Basin. I mean, bottom line is just these deer aren't coming into and across the Great Basin. The spread would be probably way outside of our lifetime to, to get to California naturally. Any other questions? How does, uh, I don't know what it's called, is it immediate take for like pigs on private property? Um, or like it's a destruction of the property, you know, how the pig has to shoot the pig and you have to call in, I believe. How other guidelines that that has to, to happen, whether if you're running cattle and destroying the feed for cattle, or if it's if it's just like a private property where you have five horses, it's nothing. You're not making money off of it. Does that still fall in play? So I think what you're referring to would be called the McPherson Act or the Encounter Law uh, when it comes to pigs. So. in the code because there's there's sanctioned depredation and then there's damage right two yes different, two different mechanisms for which you can you can harvest pigs right depredation is the landowner calls us the biologist uh, makes a determination on the number of pigs that can be taken out of a you know want to be taken to reduce that damage uh, to their their feed or their crop or whatever. Uh, and then there's the encounter law, which I thought was in this section, but let me go to the depredation section. So, section 4181.1, notwithstanding 4652, any wild pig that is encountered while the, in the act of inflicting injury to molesting, pursuing, worrying, or killing livestock or damaging or destroying or threatening or immediately damage, threatening to immediately damage or destroy land or other property, including to but not limited to rare, threatened, endangered native plants, wildlife, aquatic species, may be taken by the owner of the livestock, land, or property owner, or the owner's agent. Or by a city uh, agent or employee of any federal, state, county, or city entity when acting in their official capacity. So, if you are the tenant or the agent of the landowner and you encounter pigs that are doing damage to, say, a, a pond or a repairing area, legally you can harvest that pig. Is that where I do a volunteer guide with fishing game? Um, on on Canada de Los Osos? Um, next to him is Henrico or Harvey Bear. The state park? The state park. I know the rangers there shoot pigs on site. 
Okay. And that's where I was kind of wondering on. Henry Co. has a depredation permit. Okay, so from, it's a, yeah. different, totally, it's not totally different. It's not in county law. Okay. So, yeah, Henry Co.'s got the depredation permit from us. It's, an, it's more of an MOU than a depredation permit. Um, they harvest pigs. Yeah, uh, so it's I would say harvest. It's not a harvest. It's, it's just shoot them. So, yeah, generally. Yeah. 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 They leave them. It's it's unfortunate, right? That's a lot of good meat going. Buzzards. Yeah, they need to eat too. Um, so if you are the person, right, on a piece of private ground, uh, and you harvest a pig under this encounter law, so I'm going to read the next part of the section, which is important, which is where people get in trouble. The person taking the pig, wild pig, shall report the taking no later than the next working day to the department and shall make the carcass available to the department. So, no, make available to the department does not mean bring into the department. It just says, hey, I, I can bring it to you if, if you guys want it type thing. Uh, but you've got to notify us that you did it. So, so if that happens, let's say I do that, am I able to keep the meat or do I got to keep the pig whole basically until the decision is made if they want to take a look at it? I'm reading this. So it's so under depredation, wild pigs can be utilized under depredation, but the encounter is different, so I know it makes an effect. So, the person taking the wild pig pursuant to the subdivision or whom the carcass of the wild pig taken pursuant to the subdivision is transferred pursuant to subdivision C may possess the carcass of the wild pig. The person in possession of the carcass may shall make use of the carcass. So yes, you can use it. But deer, deer under a depredation cannot keep you have to get yeah, you have to, you have to notify the department. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, pigs are the only depredation animals that can be utilized. So you said uh, under depredation, the person on the depredation permit can utilize the meat? Yes. So is that person able to give the meat away? Yes. Okay. Yep. So that, that, that brings in, in other regulations and laws, uh, you know, so. So if the landowner takes pigs under depredation and transfers them to you, there needs to be a record of that transfer. So a copy of the depredation permit that follows that meat, that carcass. So if I had, if I had a death permit somewhere and I'm leaving the property, I have to have that permit with me. So say I pulled over or right. whatever the case. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, because we, we don't know, yeah. always know what is, is going on on a particular piece of property. Generally, the wardens know where the depredation permits are. Um, you know, assuming there's a good working relationship with the wardens and the biologists, then uh, we'll know. And yeah, so if we find a guy with an untagged pig, he's got an untagged pig. So if, if, if I were to give me away, then that person, how do they? Copy of the depredation permit. Okay. Yep. And, and with a, uh, you know, something with like, your information on it. Yeah. Saying, a little note, just a, a little note goes a long way saying, you know, on such and such day I gave so-and-so a pig that was taken under this depredation permit. Done. Right? That's, that's what we want to see, right? Just compliance. It's when the games start getting played that, you know, 
we right. that's when we're like, hey, come on, especially with pigs. Now is that, that, that just the whole pig, or I mean, even meat after it was processed? Yep. Still applies? Yep. There's there's one particular section that covers meat, and uh, so technically, letter of the law, if somebody gives you game meat, you've got to have some record of where that game meat came from, and it's just a so you claim that. <laughs> So, you know, some people like have a bunch of like deer legs that they, they cook and, you know, if they don't have documentation for those deer legs, technically they're in violation, right? Because we need to know where they came from. Could be all poached animals, right? Without any documentation. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I'm going to change the subject. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Like pursuit dogs no, and tracking dogs, right? Is there a difference? I don't think there's any legal difference in the dogs, right? Leash? Is there something that's... Give me a scenario. Like, we just got a, a dog that we're planning on training for blood tracking. Awesome. Do, I'm just thinking about ourselves, do I need to have him leashed while he's tracking, or can he be... Because he can still hunt deer here with dogs during rifle season. During the rifle season. Right now. But you're thinking archery season, blood trailing a deer then. Yeah, yeah. but he, 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 technically he's working on leash anyway, but do you have to have leash or is there any rules on that? So, I mean, could, from our perspective, we come across somebody who's, who's tracking, you know, with a dog during deer season and it's part of the take of the deer, right? Cause that take is you're still in pursuit of that deer, right? Just because you put a hole in it doesn't mean it belongs to you yet. You're still in pursuit of that deer. Um, but, right, so from the warden's perspective, we're gonna look at the totality of the circumstances. You're trailing a dog on a leash, on a blood trail, right? And we know that dogs have a better sense of smell than we do, right? So it's a great tool, right? It's an effective way, especially when you get these deer that go down in big nasty brushy canyons that you can walk two feet by and not see it. That dog's gonna sure smell it. So we're gonna go like, oh, you, you have a deer down? All right, well, let me see your tag. Make sure you got all that good stuff done, right? And they'll go, oh, let's go find that deer. That's what the ward should do, right? And, um, but letter of the law is a use of dogs while hunting during archery season. Letter of the law? Yeah, I, mean, I think it, it's there. But spirit of the law, spirit, your, your, your intent is to find that animal that you wounded, right? Or put a hole in. And, and that's the right thing to do. And that's how it should be looked at. I mean, I can't, I can't speak for everyone in the state. I can only speak for myself. And, and I had that situation several times uh, working in Calaveras County. The same guys, they, they would stick deer with a bow, with an arrow, and they, they couldn't find it right away, so they'd go home, get their little terrier, and they'd use it, and they'd run them right to the deer. Cool thing is they would always call me and tell me. So I knew that. And it wasn't, you know, if we know, right, it's, nobody's hiding anything. So that's what I would recommend you guys do, is call somebody and say, hey, shot a deer, can't find it right away. No, we're going to get the dog on the blood trail. That's all the word wants to know is what's going on. Good, good open line communication.
What yes, sir. about those blood banks? Oh, they're totally legal. Legal? Yeah. Even at night, they wouldn't be considered pursuit of the spotlight? No, I mean... Is it kind of discretion still? Well, I mean... How it's used? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the ground like this, right? And those, those things don't work at a distance. Let's yeah. just say that. So, I mean, you're not using them to spotlight. Really. But you're looking at the ground. You're trying to find it here. Yeah, no, there's no nothing illegal about those lights at all. Shoot. This may be an obvious question that, that I've never encountered before. Say so you shoot an animal, and then you, you only recover it after shoot time. No depredation permit, no nothing. Can you... Finish it or absolutely okay, absolutely. Good. Yep, no, I mean, you, you, you're not gonna wait till morning to finish it off. Nope, no, you come up on it, totally yep. good. Put it down, right? That's the moral right. and ethical thing to do. Put that animal down. I feel everybody's waning here. Does the importance of revenue take place over the science for license and tag sales? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it, ultimately, uh, our revenue generated by tag sales is 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 not a, a huge, significant amount. I mean, let's look at sheep, for example. We give out twenty something sheep tags a year. Okay, at four hundred something bucks a pop, that's ten thousand bucks. Statistically, that's nothing. That's a drop in the bucket in the seventh largest economy in the world. So, but let's look at deer, right? How many deer tags are sold a year? 100 and something thousand. Um, at 30 something and 40 something dollars a piece. Uh, that, that's quite a bit of money, right? But does it drive things? I'd like to hope not. I'd like to hope revenue is not a, a factor when it comes to wildlife management. Um, you look at some zones and you wonder why they sell X number of tags in a year. When you know, What if there's a, a big significant weather event and the take is quadruple what it normally is? I mean, that's potentially that's bad for the, the population. Granted, even though bucks don't regulate the population. So uh, are there opportunity uh, zones? Absolutely. D3 through 5 is an opportunity zone. A lot of tags, a lot of public land opportunity. Uh, the state gets quite a bit of revenue from D3 through 5. No question. The department does. The deer program does. So, but you look at other states too, and it's not just a California thing. It's uh, uh, some of the other states where you can just go buy elk tags over the counter and they know the success rates are going to be so low but it's a, it's an opportunity thing uh, but they know it's just a revenue generator so uh, I, the optimistic side of me would like to say no it's not an issue in wildlife management but I'm sure it's used in, in some wildlife management decisions Sur survey wise within the state though when hunters have been pulled they've asked for opportunity by and large. You're absolutely right. They've asked, asked for opportunity. They want more opportunity. So the chance to get a tag every year. Right. So in, in a tag every year, which they can do, right? They can buy two tags every year if they want. And, uh, you know, and 
hunt six months. And, and hunt for six months if they like. Uh, but people hate hunting California because it's terrible. There, there's, there's opportunity. I mean, it's, it gives you the option of going to new areas that you've never been and, and exploring your horizons. I mean, uh, I can't hunt the same place twice. You know, that's just that's just me. So, I mean, I can't twice, but I mean, same year, year in, year out. Now it's going to get old. Um, so, opportunity is an interesting thing, right? I mean, we have uh, our department owns a lot of land, and we don't hunt a lot of it. We hunt chunks of it in particular areas, but there are big chunks that we don't hunt that that we could op- offer more opportunity on a limited basis, right? It's not gonna be your Knoxville wildlife area that you can just go to, except for now, right? They change that, except for the first nine days of the season. But it's not gonna be like those areas, a type C wildlife area where you can just go, right? Anybody can go, as many people that wanna go. But there could be some high quality hunts on a limited basis in on other department lands that currently aren't being utilized. Uh, ecological reserves that are open for hunting uh, could be open for hunting we have I think 135 currently and we only allow hunting on 44 there's a lot of room for growth there and that's part of the R3 thing that we're working on seems like a great opportunity to offer it for, for a draw to get some of those max point holders out of the pool let's get them yeah. on right <laughs> let's get them out of there but you know all those max point holders they're putting in for the good dales and they can put in for good dale devil's garden they're putting in for you know uh x5b that's fine they'll be out of the pool you know the, the deer thing is kind of teased out it's the elk yeah. and the sheep right that needs for me the sheep that needs to tease out a little bit faster that's not going to happen with any uh, speed. So we'll dive into the last part. All right. Which we're going to talk a little bit about mountain lions. Okay. And this could either end up being really long or really short. Uh, so is there any serious research going on in the state of California? that will either benefit or not benefit opening up a mountain lion hunting season? That's like a fourfold question. Um, so is there research being done on mountain lions in California? Absolutely. The, the biologist that is basically running the mountain lion program, uh, I don't know if he's actually the mountain lion program coordinator or what, but he is running surveys. He has a ton of collared cats in several areas of the state. And he's trying to determine a good way to uh, count lions. They're a predator, they're a very elusive predator. Very, very hard to uh, quantify a population. So I think what Justin's doing is just trying to figure out in different types of habitats with different uh, densities of mountain lions, how we can effectively count those cats. Uh, So that's one side of it. Regardless of what data he comes up with and what method or model he develops in saying how many lions we have, um, all of that is irrelevant at this point in time because in 1990, Proposition 117 was voted on by the people of the state to ban or fully protect 
make mountain lions a fully protected species. So that precludes us from hunting mountain lions and that precludes the department from even talking about a mountain lion season. I mean, we're just, it's just not in the cards for the department. So currently the only thing we can do is, um, is react to lion encounters, human, human lion encounters or livestock lion encounters uh, through depredation or public safety line, wildlife. Uh, so that's where we're, that's, I don't want to say our hands are tied, but your hands, hands are tied. tied. The, de the department is removed from the situation. Very much so. Yeah. And, and there's really nothing that the department can do. You guys can offer science and research. Yep. But that's it. That's right. There's, and, and, there's no other role that the department actually physically plays in allowing hunting for mountain lions. Yeah. So there's nothing we can do. At so, this point. would you know what somebody or what a group of people would have to do in order to declassify or take mountain lions off of the protected species list? So I think because it was voted on by the people currently, it's gonna take a vote, a four-fifths vote, the pop, uh, you know, four-fifths majority to repeal that law. It is the same law at the same time as we can't take one in Montana and bring it in this Yeah, state. yeah, that was all at the same time. That was all at the same time. Um, the whole importation of lions. Um, was that have to be? Is it, is it, was it a misguided um, addition to the law? Yeah, I think so. Right? I, I don't want, I won't go far, as far and say was California trying to impose uh, its values on other states because you can still go uh, out of state and legally hunt lions. You just can't bring, you just can't bring that back into California. Any part. Any part. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate because each state can individually manage the species. Um, and if the take was legal and legally documented on a tag or whatever, it, it's legally possessed. So, uh, but that's where, that's where we're at. That's where we're dealing with. So that was part of it, trapping the other with the uh, leg hole traps and the, the body gripping traps. That was all, all in the same law. Um, and, you know, depending on what kind of, what do you read about that law? It was, uh, you know, Californians may have been, I don't want to say taken advantage of, that's not, maybe not have thoroughly read that law and what it was used for. Right? There was a lot of funding that came out of that law, but what was the funding used for and how are we benefiting from that funding that was... Uh, well, it was sold as the annual $30 million Annual $30 million, million right. Which right. sunsets next year. That sunsets next year, sunset. right? There's, so, there's been the works to try and extend that annual $30 million of funding. It takes $30 million of funding from the tobacco from, from several tax. different funds, right? Yeah, it comes from a tobacco tax where the Wildlife Conservation Board gets $30 million of right. funding a year. That, that was a, a 30 year guarantee, so it sunsets next year. But that is for my understanding that that has to be spent in particular areas that, that funding does for the It wildlife. has to be spent through the wildlife. Right, but on certain things. Yeah, land acquisition right. is, is, is a. Right. And maybe so, grants as well. Yeah, yeah, I would like to, you know, I wish. 
I, I wish that land could be used for adding hunting areas. Maybe it could. Right? It's, um, I know there is uh, some public meetings coming up that talk about changing some ecological reserve classifications and wildlife area classifications. Uh, that's going to be, there's some good beneficial stuff that's coming out of meetings. So uh, public in input is always good uh, if people want, are aware of those meetings. There's four that are going to be set across the state. So first, those are good. First one was tonight. In Los Panos, right? Oh, no, that's next week, I think. In Los I, I think so. Yeah, so there's some good stuff, right? I, mean, I, I, I know a little bit about one of those new eco-reserves and it's gonna be big, it's gonna be good. Uh, assuming we allow hunting on it. It'll be classified as having hunting being allowed as specified by the department. So hopefully the department allows hunting on that ground. Right on. Well, so in conclusion, I'm gonna say that on Saturday, July 27th, from 2 to 3.30, right, Saturday, July 27th, 2 to 3.30, John Stallone will be here at West Coast doing a seminar on everything elk hunting. If anybody is interested, please come down to West Coast Archery Shop in Petaluma and check it out. Um, he is a guide, he's a filmmaker, and he also hosts a podcast called Interviews with the Hunting Masters, or Days in the Wild. It's a combination of that i can't remember sorry john don't be mad and uh, also we'd like to thank uh dead eye outfitters for all of the continuing support um always outfitting us with the most amazing lifestyle apparel hats t-shirts socks hoodies and whatever else they come up with that's usually a disaster and amazing and beautiful uh, do you have any concluding thoughts before we exit out? No, I'd like to you know, thank you guys all for coming out and hopefully I can I answered your questions and didn't uh, fill you with a bunch of fluff. Uh, but uh, <laughs> of department I, I try you know I try to balance that. I mean, I can't I can't I, I gotta I have to balance that, right? I, I'm an official of the department. So Absolutely. Um, it, it's 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 a it's a balancing act, right? Yeah. Uh, but I enjoy it, right? Enjoy the engagement, and I really appreciate you guys coming out. And, uh, good questions. You know, we didn't have any uh, emotional arguments, which, which fine, right? Wildlife is an emotional issue. I mean, if if the other side of the fence can get emotional, why can't the pro hunting side get emotional about things, right? So that's always something to keep in mind. We we can get just as emotional as them. Right. Well, thank you very much for making you know the time and the drive. Uh, we appreciate it a lot. Um, hopefully this is beneficial for our hunting community in the state of California and also, you know, in, in helps to help repair and rebuild the relationship between uh, wardens and hunters out in the field. Um, you know, uh, so, yeah, I think a concluder for me now that you say that would be that uh, to encourage members of the hunting public, hunting and fishing public, I always forget about fishing, but to, to engage wardens in the field more, right? To ask questions, to uh, work together, right? It, it, it doesn't, it, the system was not designed to be an us against them system, right? It's, it's to work together with, with 
legal hunters and unlawful hunters to catch the unlawful and illegal hunters. Right. So uh, the engagement is is very positive, and you know, ask wardens where to go. I mean, there, there's there's a particular person in this audience that was told where to go hunt turkeys this spring by a particular warden. He was successful. Uh, so the you can gain some beneficial knowledge, right? Yeah. By, by engaging, and, and wardens are, for the most part like to talk. Yeah, are just chatty people. So, that, absolutely, that'd be my conclusion. Right on. Well, thank you again. You're we welcome. appreciate it, and uh, stay tuned. The next episode of Questions and Answers with Department of Fish and Wildlife will be soon, and we'll be covering topics such as wolves. Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.